0: A series. I'm Shelley Graff and I'm here with my friends Gabe Keller-Flores and Ramesh Sairam to fill in for Mark as he's away leading a retreat with Steve Armstrong and Alexa Santos at IMS this week. So this is a I've been talking about um, the five spiritual faculties. I've been following along electronically the last few weeks. And I listened to Mark's talk and read through the material. Can you guys hear me okay? Yeah? No, okay. Yeah, good. How about now? Is that any better? A little bit? Not so much? A little bit better? A little bit more? Maybe a little better, a little more better. Okay, great. I'll try to speak up too. Get calm and the voice drops. <laughs> 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 hmm. So this the five spiritual faculties, the engine that moves our practice along. Begins with faith or some confidence, um, and that's the sort of. Energy brings with it the energy that's needed for to make effort or to have interest. And then from there the mind, you know, is able to remember to recognize the present moment. It's like mindfulness with mindfulness, right? With mindful awareness. And then as mindful awareness strengthens, then it's possible to remember in more moments, more frequently. And then the mind develops some continuity from that. And that continuity or stability we might call samadhi. Which is where we're at tonight to talk about samadhi. So samadhi or collectedness of mind is uh, the way I think about it is really the mind that um, is unhindered from the defilements. The mind that takes refuge and is able, is, is able to, um, is really only able to take refuge in the deepest truths, the deep, deepest understandings and, and insight. So this wise understanding that everything comes and goes, it's not really worth the attachment to any experience because it's always impermanent, right? This deep understanding, the mind knows this, understands this with the kind of stability or collectedness in those moments. You know, that's able to be seen really clearly. And it's also like nature is known, right? That experience is a result of causes and conditions. It's not personal. It's not self it's not a result of me or mine or who we are in any way the mind that is is willing to abandon taking refuge in many of the things we take refuge in like our relationships or our health ideas or views this Kind of clarity of mind that comes in those moments of stability really understands that, you know, there's only really the only thing that's worth taking refuge in is these deeper truths. And this understanding that any of these other experiences that we often take refuge in, um, like a delicious piece of cake, or a sunny day, or a happy mood. Why these things are worth enjoying while they're there. You know, this the kind of stability of mind really sees them as just nature. You know, a result of something that is not set in motion by always by our own will. So this mind is willing to set down any of the worldly pleasures, any of the sense pleasures. It's willing to abandon taking refuge in forceful or afflictive states of mind, like self-righteous anger, the sort of clinging to views that maybe generate a force in the mind, fear, irritation, ill will, the mind that is willing to set down states of excessive energy or worry or um, kind of the, the striving energy that's involved in restlessness, needing to get somewhere, needing to go someplace, needing to accomplish something, the mind that's willing to set down disinterest or apathy, that's not caring, this kind of dullness of mind. It's an eh, right? Life is just eh. (laughs) So willing to um, set that down in moments and really be interested in, in the way things are. The mind that's willing to set down these states of confusion or uncertainty, hesitation, even. These are the flavors, multi-flavored hindrances, right? Any, really, the hindrances are really any flavor of greed, anger, delusion in the mind. And Mark set out that or sent out this some of the discourses or the suttas, reading from them. Equipped with this noble morality, integrity, this is the noble restraint of the senses. With this noble contentment, one finds a solitary lodging at the root of a forest tree, in a mountain cave, a charnel ground, a jungle thicket, or in the open air on a heap of straw. Then, having eaten after one's return from the alms round, one sits down, cross-legged, holding one's body erect, and establishes mindfulness to the fore. Abandoning, sense desire, ill will, sloth and torpor, restlessness and worry, doubt. One abides with the mind free from sense desire, ill will, sloth and torpor, restlessness and worry, doubt. One purifies one's mind of sense desire, ill will, sloth and torpor, restlessness and worry and doubt. So this state of mind, this clarity, this... um, spaciousness of mind really comes from the mind's ability to set down or abandon these visitors, these um, hindrances. And then there's a, a mind that can, you know, then what's left is a mind that can really trust its true quality, its nature, taking refuge in the clear and radiant nature of the mind. It can see into its true nature. And I heard this from Joseph Goldstein on a talk that he gave. He spoke about an 18th century Tibetan master, Shabkar, who who said, The mind's nature is as vivid as a flawless piece of crystal, intrinsically empty, naturally radiant, and ceaselessly responsive. Have you heard that before? Yeah. The mind's nature is as vivid as a flawless piece of crystal, intrinsically empty, naturally radiant, and ceaselessly responsive. You know, In those states of collectedness, of stability, this is what's illuminated. Right? We can notice that we don't even need to try that hard in moments when the mind is naturally stable and available. right? There's just a kind of freedom and contentedness in just the simple... Aware, the quality of awareness. I remember a very, like, I think my first retreat with Common Ground at what was then called Holy Spirit, now Meta Retreat Center. And I was just, you know, brand new. I didn't know anything, what I was doing. And there hadn't been much, uh, many states of, many moments of calm in my life. It didn't seem up until that point. And so I remember just sitting in the hall, and for some time, it seemed like quite a while at that point, that there was just an awareness of the breeze coming in the window, and the mind that was really not thinking, it was just content to be, and there was just this natural kind of light interest in the mind. It's like it was a beginner, right? What is this? What is this like? Oh, there's a kind of warmth in the body, a settledness that's here in the body, and just this really light interest, not striving or pursuing, but it was such a new experience that I had no idea that was what samadhi was like, right? There was just this contentedness that was there and this really light interest. So it's not the kind of pursuing effort that we think about when, um, we often think about what's needed in practice, but that's a wrong understanding to think that we need to actually devote a lot of energy. We just have to show up to remember to recognize, and in that moment, then a habit of awareness is developed. right? And in that habit of awareness, with more practice, then it just strengthens. And as the mind gets stronger in its ability to notice or be with the present moment's experience then habits that used to make sense really don't make sense anymore right with the willingness to kinda connect with the way things are we can see that oh this like state of anger really hurts or this attachment to even the pleasant breeze really feels tight and not good so the mind naturally lets go right and just rests there and it's knowing And the hindrances can arise when there's a gap in mindfulness. But that doesn't mean that we need to apply more effort. It just means that we need to cultivate the habit of awareness. It doesn't mean that we have to try harder. It just means that we have to be more steady. And this is this habit of stability of mind is more is easily um, developed on retreat in under conditions where there's some seclusion in our activity. There's a setting down of a lot of activity, but it's not the only place to cultivate this stability or samadhi. Right? We can do that in the midst of our daily lives. And we do that every time we simplify our activities. When we decide to just do one thing at a time or walk down the hallway with a little more, um, with a less frequent pace or, you know, not so fast. Or when we decide to really attend to our partner when they're sharing a conversation. Like in all of these moments, we're, we're also strengthening the habit of stability of mind, the ability of the mind to be more regular, more continuous with its um, stability, with its awareness rather. I'm only going to talk for another minute and I'm going to pass it along to Gabe. There's this great poem by Louise Erdrich. It's called Advice to Myself. It really speaks to the necessity to keep our lives simple at times. Leave the dishes. Let the celery rot in the bottom drawer of the refrigerator and an earthen scum harden on the kitchen floor. Leave the black crumbs in the bottom of the toaster. Throw the cracked bowl out and don't patch the cup. Don't patch anything. Don't mend. Buy safety pins. Don't even sew on a button. Let the wind have its way, then the earth that invades as dust, and then the dead foaming up in gray rolls underneath the couch. Talk to them. Tell them they are welcome. Don't keep all the pieces of the puzzle, or the doll's tiny shoes in pairs. Don't worry who uses a toothbrush, or if anything matches at all. Accept one word to another, or a thought. Pursue the authentic. Decide first what is authentic. Then go after it with all your heart, your heart, that place you don't even think of cleaning out, that closet stuffed with savage mementos. Don't sort the paper clips from screws from saved baby teeth or worry if we're all eating cereal for dinner again. Don't answer the telephone ever (laughs) 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 or weep over anything at all that breaks. Pink molds will grow within those sealed cartons in the refrigerator. Accept new life forms and talk to the dead. (laughs) Talk to the dead who drift in through the screened windows, who collect patiently on the tops of food jars and books. Recycle the mail. Don't read it. Don't read anything. (laughs) Accept what destroys the insulation between yourself and your experience, or what pulls down, or what strikes at, or what shatters this ruse you call necessity. Thank you.
1: I think, uh, I think the main change in my understanding and relationship to this quality of samadhi, and which Shelley reminded me of, uh, and I think just by uh, their, their presence, is that it's a beautiful quality, um, like uh, a precious quality, Um, yeah because I think it uh, it's not a a common quality and especially in our in our society you know stability of mind calm it's not really lauded uh, as something valuable, worthwhile you know especially like hearing that poem at the end, that's kind of like, in some ways, a distillation of what our society tells us about what's important. So I found, yeah, it's... To to appreciate the moments where the mind is happy, even relatively relatively calm, relatively stable as something beautiful. And inherently, you know, it's just like seeing a beautiful um, scene in nature that the mind has something intrinsic that's beautiful. Um, and it, that it's not about who I am or what I produce, how smart and clever I am. So, I'll talk a little bit about um, samadhi stability of mind. I like that translation. Um, not sure if Saido Tejaniya necessarily was the first to use it, but he certainly, that's his main translation of samadhi, whereas um, the most uh, common translation of samadhi is concentration. Which can have connotations of focusing, or, um, he Tejaniya says, trying to concentrate doesn't always lead to samadhi, you know, because there's some wrong effort in there or some striving. Um, so I like this translation of stability of mind. It feels accessible, not esoteric. And it also feels kind of like um, there's a gradient. You know, sometimes with samadhi as concentration, it's like uh, uh, we can judge ourselves, and it's never... I mean, how many of us, maybe there's some of you, but certainly not me, ever, you know, felt like my mind is in that place that I imagine a concentrated mind, a one-pointed mind. You know, we have these terms from the Buddhist tradition that we can kind of use to to judge ourselves. Um, But stability of mind, uh, as a translation for samadhi, and in particular as a translation for what we could call vipassana samadhi as opposed to samatha samadhi samatha samadhi being um, more of uh, an exclusive one object usually people developing deep states of concentration um, and vipassana samadhi samadhi being more just enough stability of mind just enough presence just enough continuity of awareness Um, to sort of be in the vicinity of the present moment and to keep gathering data moment by moment so that insight arises. Um, Whereas the goal in Samatha practice is really to kind of see, explore the the depths of the mind and, and how settled and calm the mind can be. But there might not be a lot of learning in terms of, the mind's conditioning, or... Um, they're certainly... Pro- I don't have a lot of experience in this area, but they're certainly still learning, and, and these are they're both valuable practices, and um, I think, yeah, they, they, they're both valuable practices, and it kind of depends on our personality, um, you know, whether we have skill some people seem to have more skill at settling the mind. I know I don't. <laughs> so, so for me, this this uh, translation of stability of mind and this emphasis in my practice on uh, just the continuity of awareness and the stability of mind that comes from that has been really interesting um, and useful. And I know Ramesh will speak a little bit on a related topic uh, about kind of the role of wisdom. And Shelley spoke about this too. So, But that's sort of uh, what distinguishes Vipassana Samadhi, stability of mind, from Samatha Samadhi. It's kind of intrinsically woven with wisdom. So it's not a... Um, Sorry, <laughs> Tejanya might use the word... It's not like uh, stupid, sometimes he says stupid, I know it's maybe not great speech, but you know it's like it's not a uh, thoughtless just you know just be with the breath, just sit down, be with the breath, try that hard enough, and that's it you know where you in this in this style that Saita Tejaniya teaches and that uh, that I appreciate um it's a we're bringing our intelligence along. Um, and I really like this, um, this little story that kind of describes how wisdom supports stability of mind. And uh, it's from Saida And he says, if we were in a new place, traveling somewhere, and we didn't know the layout of the city, we would feel appropriately a bit... Um, Confused or uncertain, so the mind would be a little agitated. I mean, I'm sure we've all had that experience. But if we're somewhere that is our home and, and we know it really well, there's just a certain ease, a certain stability of mind because of the understanding that's there. So, this is a metaphor for wisdom. So, when there's enough wisdom in the mind that's tracking the present moment, understanding the different intentions arising in the mind, just kind of keeping a light eye on the mind. What's it up to? What's it doing? Being interested. Um, Then there's more understanding and there's less of a likelihood that the mind's just going to end up in a state of uh, severe agitation because the mind's been tracking, it's been kind of keeping an eye, seeing, oh, oh, it's heading in that direction. Oh. I I appreciate that uh it can be relative, relative stability of mind. I guess I appreciate that cuz it keeps me from judging myself, but to see like it's true. There's a it, there's a scale, from freaking out <laughs> to um, you know the mind being really at ease. And so, and we can appreciate wherever we are along that spectrum. We can instead of you know judging or, or paying attention to oh my mind isn't you know deeply calm and concentrated. But what about stable? Like what? Well, I mean, sure, I'm stable enough to be sitting here and understanding the words and not, <laughs> so there, and, uh, but, but we can actually feel into that and appreciate that, um, and that tends to, shining the light on that tends to sort of, that appreciation kind of, then we get more familiar with it, oh, as a beautiful quality, like, my mind's, you know, it's doing the best that it can, you know, with, in our daily lives with all the different stimuli. But it's, you know, just that ability of the mind to kind of stay with what's going on, attend to it. I think um, just the functionality of a mind that's relatively stable is another way I kind of think about it or kind of tune into it. You know, when we're agitated, whether it's a lot or, or a little, it's like we're we're a little off kilter or like off balance, so we can't completely show up for what's in front of us, for what needs to be done. so that's one way you can sort of see you know in any given moment is the mind kind of a little off balance, and we can feel that you know energetically and uh, you know again it's relative, so we might you know most of the time, probably we're a little off balance, but we can start to recognize that gradient, um, and just get more familiar with how the mind moves along that. You know, we might be kind of off kilter, and then we the mind notices that and sees, oh, you know, what's what is that? Oh, the mind's a little, whatever, like restless, or there's this slight emotional pain I'm not quite acknowledging, and that that's sort of fueling that restlessness. And then we kind of see what if I include that and then there's less of that um, disparate or um, disjointed or disconnected, fragmented. know, that's kind of uh, the definition of samadhi is collectedness of mind. So that's another way we can we can feel or sense it as any time there's any sort of fragmentation in the mind, part of the mind wants to be doing that, part of the mind wants to do this, so it's not and again, it's just about you know bringing that into awareness, seeing that oh, and feeling that oh that that feels slightly off balance and and i can't I'm not as functional I can't fully be with what's happening, and it's so common that. Uh, we can take it for granted, that experience. Um, but it's really possible. I mean, this kind of uh, exploration and this kind of getting to know this um, stability of mind, this Vipassana Samadhi, because we're always somewhere on the gradient, so we can always be interested in that. And like Shelley was saying, you know, just walking to the bathroom. The mind's somewhere else. And just that moment, not of, um, out of aversion, but out of compassion or out of appreciation for the beauty of a mind that's including everything. And I like that, too, about including as a way of gathering or collecting the mind. As opposed to uh focusing or you know out of aversion, pushing away, oh, that's a distraction, I'm so bad. Well, that's just more agitation, <laughs> but like so widening, including whatever the distraction, disturbance, agitation, it's like. If samadhi is collectedness, if samadhi is like the whole, like Ajahn Sumedho talks about samadhi as the one point that includes everything. So what's that one point that includes everything? It's mindful awareness of the present moment, of the way it is, which is there ever an experience that can't be included in that, So that's kind of a a way that I've been playing with when I notice my mind is caught up in something and I notice the mind's reactivity to that or judgment of that or trying to figure out uh, what should I do now. Like, in a sense, taking a step back or widening and just knowing what I can know, which is this is something being known right now. This is an experience being known right now. This is some emotional disturbance or emotional urge being known right now. Some feeling like I have to do something right now. But it's a, like a, it's kind of a realignment, and this is wisdom a realignment of what we're taking things to be or where we're putting um, our value, what we're yeah, what we're sort of putting energy behind, whatever that emotional compulsion or agitation is about in that story or that, that movement or in the awareness and the wisdom that knows this is, I may not know a lot, but I can be pretty clear that this is something being known and it feels like this. Yeah, I think I'll leave it there. Turn it over to Ramesh for some more words.
2: Well, I started by saying that now for something completely different. Um, Accent, reference to Monty Python. Uh, (laughs) And um, I was just going to be a miscellaneous appendix to what Shelley and uh, Gabe um, spoke about. So we have about 20 minutes left. So depending on your preference, um, in, in my profession I'm told that um, no audience can uh, take in more than 40 minutes of talking. So you've already listened to 40 minutes of talking. So uh, we have the option of just a free-flowing Q&A based on some of what Shelley and Gabe talked about. And mine was just going to be kind of uh, summarizing it, so to speak. But rather than hearing the same thing again, if um, there are four or five questions, then we can fill the next 20 minutes. Does that appeal to anyone, or would you want me to talk? Why don't you summarize it for a <laughs> Well, sir, you may not know that I'm a psychiatrist. <laughs> my summaries last about 40 minutes, so. <laughs> I like the sound of my voice as well. <laughs> okay. Um, <clears throat> Um, So for me, um, practice literally means that word. Uh, It's what do we do? And so uh, when I started coming to Common Ground uh, about 12 years ago, um, very quickly I found that I found the same words being uh, expressed in different ways by different teachers, and I got into a bit of a muddle. You know, does concentration mean to concentrate, as in to narrow, to focus, to make an effort, or is it to... Um, you know, just going to pull back and then free-floating awareness. And so when I tried one or the other, I ended up being more confused. So uh, uh, for almost five or six years, I found that um, listening to certain teachers who really focused on, concentrated on, the meaning of the words. And so that's what shaped my practice over the last seven, eight years, And so I'll just summarize where I I sit now with regards to um, Samadhi practice. So it's helpful for each of us to have some understanding of what we're trying to do when we're trying to practice concentration. And the reason is that uh, not all of us have the, the same set of cognitive skills. As Gabe mentioned, some of us may try for 10 years, and barely can concentrate on five or six breaths at a time. But we may find along the way that even though my mind is flitting from one object to the other, there is a continuity of awareness. So that's what Saida Avathejiniya talks about. But I met many practitioners who get incredibly frustrated when they listen to Saida Avathejiniya's uh, you know, pra- way of teaching because it seems very not concentrated. It seems kind of just be there, just practice it, and be maintain a continuity of awareness. But then, what am I? What am I being aware of? Always comes up. And by the way, I am in the Utejaniya you know, camp. But I also recognize that it's not for everyone. So, so that's one kind of um, understanding. I think it would be helpful for each of us to study is the the two concepts that. Um, Gabe mentioned, one is the Vipassana Samadhi and the other one is Shamatha Samadhi. And especially in modern day lives, you know, when you, when, you, know, when you have a busy work schedule, you know, you know responsibilities at home, etc., or just your addiction to your phones, it's kind of silly to expect that, you know, you're going at 80 miles an hour through the day and then at 8 p.m. you sit down and you're going to go into this tranquil state when all is fine. No, All you end up doing is creating a lot of friction as you slow your mind down from 80 miles an hour to 20, and it never gets there. All you end up doing is friction, and you never achieve that thing that they talk about, tranquility. So we create another story that if I just sit for half an hour, I'll be tranquil so I can have a dreamless sleep. No, all you get is tranquility with the sense of friction, a lot of heat and a lot of um, energy. In my case, right now, dry mouth. So let's not. uh, So what I decided is there are times in my life uh, where I can barely, you know, allow myself ten minutes to sit, whether it's through laziness or just life circumstances. So I may deliberately choose to do the uh, samatha uh, samadhi practice, meaning I'm just going to pick an object. Um, that I'm going to focus on. It is an external focus, so my, I am directing my mind towards that object. Even if I can just do it for five minutes, that's fine. Uh, or when I'm driving, know, um, a, I'm a terrible driver, and I have all kinds of bad attitudes about people who drive worse than I do, um, which is everyone, and so now my practice is, why rage through I-94 when I can direct my attention to my butt? And so that's my thing, is that, you know... It's, it's a nice, ergonomically designed seat. And why am I leaning forward, trying to get to Minneapolis five minutes early, when I can just do this? With my eyes open, there's a part of me that's constantly directing my awareness to my butt, the kind of heavy sensation, the soft cushion. That's a, a kind of a samatha practice. So there is no sense of awareness. I'm not looking at, am I greedy? Am I aversive? I'm just picking an object and going there. So in times of distress or when I'm on a long flight, etc., I am clear here that I'm not looking for any insight or any wisdom. I'm, rather than just commenting on everyone around me on the plane, I'm going to focus on something uh, that at least has some value in terms of calming me. So it's, it's good to have that, but also recognize that there are limitations and that it can become an exercise in itself. There is not much awareness of the quality of your awareness, or rather, an understanding of the quality of your awareness. So, if we mistake that exercise for wisdom, we can get caught up into achieving certain states of calm. And so, that you know, there are advantages to that kind of samatha practice, but the disadvantage is that, especially those of us who are very goal-directed, who have targets to achieve, and who you know. Go in a certain direction. We can set ourselves in artificial, arbitrary deadlines and you know, um, um, goalposts. And if we don't, if our life circumstances or our innate abilities don't allow us to get to that state, then we can end up, you know, leaving, uh, feeling very frustrated. Also, you know, it's very common to hear that um, states of concentration um, are a states where you feel tranquility you feel calm and I don't know about most of you but for me even those brief moments of Samatha is usually f- followed immediately by I wish I could stay here, I wish I could do this longer and I've already spoiled the tranquility that arose. So the, the thing again to recognize is that tranquility is a byproduct and not a product. If it happens it happens but we can't contrive it, we can't force ourselves in that direction which is another problem with Samatha concentration as a goal-directed, effortful, concentrating, narrowing practice. But it is, it's better than sitting in front of the internet, watching TV, flipping channels. Or in, Instead of all those mindless activities, it is much more helpful to do this kind of uh, Samatha, um, Samadhi practice. So walking meditation is one of those classic examples. You've had an extremely busy day at work. Your mind's raising at, you know, 60, 70 miles an hour. Uh, you really don't feel the energy to sit down. So you just have a steady pace walking over an extended, you know, length. And over 20 or 30 minutes, you can slowly slow down. So you don't set the target that at the end of this 30 minutes, I'm going to be tranquil. You just set the, tra- you know, uh, the only intention is, may I be with some aspect of my physical experience and that is associated with walking. So uh, some other, so the other practices that are often defined as uh, kind of concentration practices are the loving kindness and the the Brahmaviharas. They are all you know variations of practices that bring some tranquility and calm. But the key thing to remember is they are byproducts, not something we aspire towards. We can you know give ourselves the wholesome intention that may I be calm, etc. But uh, looking for calmness. Causes us to generate more energy. Tell me when to shush, please. Or in Hindi, it's called chup. Mm-hmm. So, um, just a few um, kind of comments about the other practice, which is what uh, Sadhguru Tejaniya introduced to us in a very in a very clear way. But if you read Ajahn Sumedho's books, he also talks about the same thing. And he talks about a meta-perception or a-perception. It is the state where you are aware of awareness. And it's a subtle concept, and that's why I I talk about both sides, just because I mean, not everyone's in a place, either in their life or their cognitive structuring, where they can can really grasp this concept of being aware of the awareness and so then it can become another striving effortful thing um, i like the example dr and no, saida othes talk gives during his uh, retreats is you know he has the audience you know place their hands palms of their hands together and then he says you know when did you become aware that your hands are together and you know almost everyone says when you asked that question and so that's the thing the the awareness is not of my palms touching, but I am aware of them touching. And so and it, it seems somewhat simplistic, but it also realized how challenging it is. Today, as I was driving out here, it dawned on me, you know after I don't know how long after I had been staring at these trees, that the leaves are sprouting. And just two days ago, I was wishing, craving that these trees would be blooming. And now they were blooming, and I was already oblivious. And that's how quickly we cannot be aware. And this is such a pleasant sight, but we can be oblivious because our mind creates stories. So that's his concept is the kind of maintaining an awareness of what I am perceiving literally moment by moment. And he also points out the very obvious thing that to be aware of the sensation of your hands touching but also to be aware that I'm aware of this requires so little energy. And I think that's what he stresses over and over again, is that if you're practicing samatha, vipassana, samadhi, anything, if it feels effortful, then you're not doing it right. And so that's the part of, this is how I remind myself. And so when I feel like I'm tightening, I just do exactly this. And how easy it is to be aware of what I'm doing except that once my mind gets bored of it, it's gone somewhere, but my awareness hasn't followed. So then whatever, wherever my mind has gone to, it's created a story, and I'm off there instead of being aware of this awareness. So that's what he talks about. Um, another example I could give is, um, I used to watch uh, football <clears throat> years ago, and for me, i was always amazed when john madden or you know one of those experts who could see a play that took place over 4 seconds and they saw things that i never saw even on replay and that's when i realized you know especially as i you know kind of uh, <clears throat> kind of transposed it here is they are aware of things because they're not number one focusing on the play but they also they they've trained over years and decades, and also due to you know through uh, innate skills that they are able to see the entire field, and even intentions of the quarterback or the defensive line, where they can see all the movements happening. So if they can do it, perhaps I can't do it with football, but I can probably do it with aspects of my daily experience. And so, uh, can I? That's the summary I would give: is have you know read up. Have some clarity in your mind about um, the two concepts that Gabe mentioned. Um, there is a concentration practice that is a more narrow it 's exclusive it 's focusing um, and if done you know with some rigor and with some commitment, it can lead to some calming but it 's a false sense of calming because you 're excluding a lot of things and so if, 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 you, if there is a desire for wisdom, if there is a desire for clarity about how the mind works, you'll also have to then include the kind of Vipassana practice, and that's where um, Saida as guidance is uh, a little more helpful. But in our daily life, it's not at all difficult to you know, you know, pick one or the other and have both as components of your practice, but with some clarity. So don't pick Tejaniya's practice on a day when your mind is distracted in so many directions. Um, and then finally, remember that um, a lot of uh, even the basic concentration practice is an exercise in neuroplasticity. So we can't be mindless for 10 hours a day and expect to be mindful 30 minutes and somehow see, you know, enlightenment. Ain't going to happen. And so uh, to, the time, you know, to the extent that your daily routine Offers you opportunities to do like what I talked about. You know, when you're sitting in the car, or for me in the hospital, we have long corridors. I do walking meditation when I'm walking from one unit to the other, and they're not samadhi practice in the sense of tranquility and calm, but I do find that the energy level, whatever uh, you know, dialogues I was having based on the previous encounter with a patient, that slows down by the time I go to see the next patient at the end of the corridor. I will stop there. We have about eight minutes, and I think we'll just open to some questions.
0: Um, I appreciated um, all of you this evening. Um, it was wonderful to hear all of your um, wisdom around this topic. And um, Is it Ramesh? Ramesh, okay. Um, I loved some of your practical ways of talking about it during the day. Um, I find that really helpful. You know, just uh, even thinking about some of the neurology of, like you said, when you have a completely frantic day to think that you can all of a sudden, you know, zone in and whatever. I, I, I don't know. I find that kind of comforting hearing some of those words. So thank you.
3: This was very helpful to me. Uh, I guess I have a question, or I've noticed that I think what I do typically. What's the name of the one where it's sort of a smaller focus? That's a samatia. Sum,
2: Samatha. Samadhi.
3: Is um, I think there's one that's in between, or I know as actors training to have full body awareness with states with a lot of vulnerability a lot of alarm going on, a lot of fright, that in order to calm, there's a kind of a a body focusing on objects that can happen, that allows for an attendance to somebody else's presence and face, because you know what the lines are going to be. So you're looking to see what's new about the energy, about the face, about the tone. And uh, so I actually do that one, the but i I do that one and I attempt to bring that one to to my daily presence um, I didn't realize that till now oh that's what that is and uh the one advantage of it and I'm sure it has many uh, downfalls, but one advantage to it I find is that it tends to uh change the body state um and, and maybe it's just a, a person thing, but I feel like with the way my mind is yippy, that I need a lot of, of visceral grounding to actually be remotely mindful.
2: Anyway, can I comment on that? I'm so glad you brought that up because uh, one of the, you know, the, you know, whenever samadhi practice is equated with tranquility, people are we can't help but hope that there'll be tranquility at the end of the exercise we do. But what our teachers mean is that you can only be tranquil with the way things are. And so that's what you're saying is that if I'm in a rageful state, I can, be, I can have samadhi, I can have some level of concentration and continuity of awareness with the sense of anger or sorrow or distress but to expect something that is not there is when we set up set up false um, you know, states. But for at least those of us who experience strong emotions during the day, it, life offers us plenty of opportunities. And for me, the two were on the road. It's you know after all these years, this it's almost hardwired um, emotional reactions. And the other one is at work, whether it's anger, frustration, sorrow. Um, I can that's how things are. I don't have to react to that. But I think this is where, with the engineer's practice of, because these energies are so strong and in the body, y- y- you can maintain continuity of awareness so that you're not reacting as much. So uh, I found it extremely
3: helpful. Thank you for mentioning it. Uh, just to uh, add to that, or are you going to speak, Gabe? Um, I, I, it's you know early in the running season, and I've been trying to. I've been going on. Um, a regular run lately where at the end I go up some very steep steps and um you know my record in getting up to the top of the steps so far this spring has been kind of abysmal without kind of losing my you know getting um fearful or afraid or and and today thinking of the samadhi stuff um Uh, it felt like what you guys are describing. It was sort of a continuity of awareness, but not a focus on I can't breathe or I can't, you know, make that step. Um, So that's it.
0: Actually, this is just a very easy question. Um, Questioning, you know, for um, Tasia Ania, is there, you know, I I read or I look at his, you know, what, the teachings are the daily teachings that come out of you know Rochester meditation. Do you have any suggestions of any books of Tejanias that you would recommend? When awareness becomes natural, and there are a lot of a number of other books, um, the ones that we bring on the common ground retreats. Uh, don't look down on the defilements; they'll laugh at you. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Dhamma everywhere. Say again. Awareness alone is not not enough. They're very similar. The when uh, when awareness becomes natural is more of a like a novel style. It's not a novel, but it's a has more stories in it, like of his personal journey. Um, So that's good. When awareness becomes natural. Yeah. But the others, you know, the the teachings are really bite size in all of the other books for sure.
2: What I found extremely helpful is uh, when he leads retreats, Um, they're all, the first day of the retreat he gives this talk that summarizes his approach to Vipassana practice. And then after that it's all Q&A. So if you can tolerate the kind of frustration of everything having to be translated, it's amazing how much the same question, you know, because they're all, you know, Participants of various levels of experience. There'll be one question from the audience that'll resonate with where you are that particular day. It's almost like you asking him a question and he's answering you. So I have like you know a dozen of his uh, Q and A sessions, and then just listen to them at random. And uh, at the very least, you can be aware because he keeps talking about continuity mm-hmm. of awareness. So it's a constant reminder. And then there'll be a gem of a question that resonates with you on a certain day. And they're all on Dhamma seat.
1: And it uh, it is 901. Unfortunately, we have to end. Let's just take a moment to let go of the words and appreciate being together. Thanks, everyone.
0: This talk, like all programs at Common Ground, is offered freely in the spirit of generosity. To learn more about Common Ground and its programs, or if you would like to donate, please visit our website